Hello, and welcome to the Afro Reads podcast with your hosts, Amara and Ugochi. Afro Reads is a book review podcast that was created out of our shared love for reading African fiction books. We talk through its themes and try to tie its key messages to our African heritage, culture, and contemporary issues. We invite you to turn the page and let's begin. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Afro Reads Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode again. It's nice to know there are people listening to our podcast <laughs> out there. Hello, everyone. For our fourth episode, we're going to be reviewing Book of Echoes, Yay! written by Rosanna Amaka. So we're going back to Nigeria. Hmm. We promise not to do this again <laughs> for a long time. Yes, but before that, what's up, Ugochi? I'm doing good. Can't complain. How is the chalk <laughs> eating life going? The chalk eating life is still there. I'm really trying to stop, but I can't help it. I just go in. <laughs> I have to admit oh, to myself. Yes. Yeah, but it's going good. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like um, This week has been ongoing. Obviously, we're in the thick of corona. I've just looked at the news, and um, luckily in the UK, the cases are falling, but one in one really sad implication about this corona and everybody just living in isolation basically is you think about the vulnerable people or mm-hmm. the people that don't have access to medicines or just the medical help they need um because you know the the economy and just the health resources are going through more towards um curing people with the illness and also trying to get the vaccines out there yeah i read well my mom sent me this story this week and i think i was the last person in the uk to hear about it but i was oh i have (laughs) yeah i kind of like got obsessed over it and like forwarded it to all my contacts and but basically it was about this woman called joyce vincent Mm -hmm. and she basically passed away in her flat in 2003 December and believe it or not she wasn't discovered like she was dead on the floor the television was on the heating was on she wasn't discovered till January 2006 this is two plus years after she had passed away um, because she lived near a shopping center and a busy road or busy um, site, nobody really noticed the smell of her corpse. And so, and I think she lived near the dumpster as well. There, were, like, there was a dumpster site around her flat. And the crazy thing as well was um, her television was on. And again, because... For two a, and a half years? Yeah. So just listen to the story. So nobody noticed it because they were noisy kids around the neighborhood but get this she was discovered by her landlord who had to frustratingly get a court order because she hadn't been paying her bills and he had wrapped up to like two thousand pounds so initially when she died because the flat was her bills were mostly paid by i think the housing estate basically a housing estate supplemented her, her rent or something like that so half was being paid consistently no one really took notice and then the other half i think was from her direct debit 
So the landlord was okay because it was a direct debit. She wasn't close to her neighbors. She was estranged from her family because um, um, she was in a bad place. She had just broken up with her boyfriend or something and there was a lot of domestic abuse going on. So she was in that strange place in her life as <laughs> Googled and researched on Wikipedia. But um, so, it was, she was, so it was that sort of thing where she was really not close to anyone. And yeah, for two and a half years, she like she was so disfigured by the time they found her that she was only able to be identified by her teeth. A dentition mm -hmm. plates were dirty in the sink and get this so the story makes out that she wasn't close to anyone but she was found with christmas gifts that were wrapped but yet to be delivered and it's so sad that she held people dear enough to wrap gifts because she died in december mm -hmm. but those people didn't check up on her didn't find it strange that maybe she didn't show up to work or and it's just that and this is one thing I find with the UK because I've lived in the UK for like two and a half years now coming from Nigeria but that you're around people but you're very much alone whereas mm -hmm. in Nigeria there'll be a nosy neighbor checking up on you or family like knocking down your door you would never go two years without no one mm -hmm. no one like yeah, one thing I noticed about the UK is people are just naturally kind of isolated. Yeah. They isolate themselves. No one really talks to their neighbors. People just walk and, you know, just look forward. Yeah. Like they're going somewhere, you yeah. know? Um, so that was, it's the story is still haunting me. Like, you, you, you guys can tell I've been obsessed with it because I can't even tell you, like, how many toes and fingers she had. Like, um... I'm that um, detailed in the description, but... I'm just hearing about the descriptions now, and it's like, it, it hurts my heart. Yeah. It's really sad. It's just really sad. I think they said her sisters were trying to look for her, so they hadn't heard from her, and they started sending private investigators to check up on her. So the private investigator located her house, so her sisters called her, didn't pick instead sending letters but because she did not respond mm -hmm. they assumed she really just shut them off mm -hmm. and that was it mm -hmm. how crazy is that that's so sad anyway that she sorry. had to die that way yeah um she yeah, so i think it was asthma attack or peptic ulcer or something but it doesn't really matter it's just the tv was on for two and two years plus i i can't imagine it i'm just in shock right now <laughs> i just anyway, can't imagine that sorry to dampen the mood but yeah back to the main gist of the day mm -hmm. um but yes book of echoes what was amazing about this book that i found out that the author wrote it for she yes yeah, she said she'd been writing it for over 20 years mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, who does that? But when you read Book of Echoes, you kind of, the vivid descriptions, her retell of like historical events and yes, things like that. Which it's, is, al it's almost like it had to be done that way. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of depth yes. to the characters and to the stories as well. Yeah. It was a really nice read and it's highly recommended. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. So tell us about the book, Ugochi. Okay. So the book is narrated by a spirit. Um, they don't say her name in the book, so we call her Spirit. <laughs> That's her name. Um, so she comes about over 200 years ago in the book. And she starts off where she throws her newborn baby son uh, to safety in the bushes um, because she herself is being hauled away by slavers. She ends up getting pregnant on her way to the United States. Or no, not sorry, not to the United States, to Jamaica. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. She was pregnant with a, a girl. She gave birth during the passage, but that baby was snatched away. So she narrates the book. She has her lover. Her lover's name is Wind. Her and her lover search through parts of history to fill in that that gaping hole of what happened to her children, to her lineage. She ends up narrating in the book the story of Michael, who was raised in Brixton in the United Kingdom, and Ngazi, who was raised in Nigeria. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. That was very apt. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to discuss the major themes and, yes, just take it from there. One big topic, oh, my God, was urbanization and that movement from rural dwellings to urban settings. So village, basically, basically the move from village to the city and I don't know about other African countries, but in Nigeria, this was such a thing. And I've always heard about it growing up, but I don't know. I would have to ask like older generations if it was a common thing in, say, the 70s or the 60s. But um, I guess the urbanization period tied in well with the structural structural adjustment programs that had taken place where... It just was not economically viable. Agriculture had just been shut down through the many policies that had surrounded it and um, importation and cheaper goods from China were landing on like city ports like Lagos and there was just a whole buzz about jobs and get quick, get rich quick schemes mm-hmm. to just... And there was just rapid development going on from all that then, coupled with oil discovery and everything. So things were booming, but it wasn't trickling down to the rural areas, the villages. So the village people tear eye and said, okay, now we'll move to the urban centers. And so what happened is like a mother of 10 children would have kids, but because there were no opportunities available in the village, she felt it was better that they went to the city areas, even to serve as servants, domestic servants to city dwellers, because that way they can get an education which was not available in rural areas and in some way make income to send back home. Um, And that was just a way of um, earning a living at that time. It was almost like an investment, but a weird kind of human. Yeah, almost like to me, I saw it, I see it sometimes as sacrificing your children. Yes, so the main character, Ngozi, fell into that trap, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave us the, the, a depiction of her life in the village, and it was just basically her selling oranges and basically trying to make ends meet. Um, she was already ostracized being 
and Osu and mm-hmm. um you know from her lineage and trying to just make ends meet with her and her siblings and her mom as well. Can we talk about what Osu means? Yes, yes, of course. Okay, so Osu is I guess part of Igbo tradition, not necessarily um practiced now, but back then, where you have children or people who were sacrificed to deities. So that sacrifice to deities made them outcasts. So you have... So they were not sacrificed where they were killed, but no. sacrificed in terms of they were they were dedicated to the gods to serve them for all their lives. Yes. Yes. So in that in that sense, they're not freeborn. They're kind of slaves to that to that deity. Yeah. And then you have the freeborn. So the outca- the Osus were regarded as outcasts, mm-hmm. um, ostracized. I wouldn't say nobody wanted to marry them, but with they, the coming of Christianity, that made yeah. it even that pushed the boundary even like further where anything associated with traditional religion and things like that was were shown, and I guess um, being an Osu was part of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, you have Ngozi serving as a domestic servant for two or three families throughout the book. But what was interesting about this and the whole urbanization theme was her commitment right up to when she went to Silicon Valley, came back to the UK, was her commitment to keep giving back diligently, keep thinking of her, her siblings back home and that res- resonates with many of these um, people that come to the town, not necessarily as domestic servants, but trying to get jobs here and there and remitting back to the villages and that strong connection they have. One final thing about the urban, the, ur- the rural urban theme as well was just the fact that I spoke to a taxi driver sometime in Nigeria and he was like, it's affecting like the manpower you have back in the villages because someone like him, his mom lives alone in the village simply because all the able-bodied men have moved to the city. So even for her to plant, cultivate, harvest was, she found it difficult. And it just meant that periodically he had to go leave Abuja, the city center, and go back to the village to help out his mom. So, you know, that being replicated throughout you know, the villages, this, the southern eastern parts or just other countrysides in many countries as well, you kind of see that, unfortunately, something that is dying, but no one is really talking about. Yeah, it leaves the villages, if you think about it, very vulnerable to other people kind of taking advantage of that land. Taking advantage. Mm-hmm. And just, again, that loss of history, loss mm-hmm. of heritage that we love to mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what was a big theme for you, Gucci? Um, the difference between love and fear in the book. So one example is Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred is like the family friend uncle of Michael. He feared his old age. So there's one part in the book where he, well, let me let me go back a little bit. So he's married to Miss Eliza, who kind of took Michael and his his sister in mm-hmm. after their their mom passed away. 
you see it at one point in the book where they have some type of family gathering. I'm not sure if it was um, a holiday, but he tells his wife, you know, I have to go check on the plumbing. He's a plumber. Yeah. I have to go check on the plumbing um, of one of my clients. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, you know, yeah. important day. But she thinks nothing of it really. Or she, she maybe she does, but she's just like, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. So he goes and we find out that he goes to this lady's house who is a lot younger than he is. She is black, but to him, she represents something that he, I guess, wanted to be when he was younger, which is higher middle class. So it Mm -hmm. seemed like she had money. So I guess he had always kind of been lusting for her. And so the fear comes in where he he listens to one of her conversations that she's having with her friend. Mm -hmm. And she's saying things like, oh, my boyfriend folds clothes before we have sex. And then Uncle Fred is like, huh? Everything is very sterile. Sterile, yeah. In our conversation. And boring, kind of. It's almost like he wakes up and realizes, like, this lady kind of leads a a boring, uppity kind of life. Life. Yeah, that. And I like like the flavor that I have. No character. No character. And he realizes then that, you know, my wife has the, the character. She has flavor. She would never make me fold clothes before we have sex. We just have sex, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that fear of his old age, I mm-hmm. think, made made him lack love, lack true love in his relationship. Once he embraced his old age, because mm-hmm. there's a point where he says he looked at his children and his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, he kind of embraced that. Embraced that. And even, even I think he they described his wife and, you know, and her physical looks mm-hmm. and just the fact she's aged, but he likes it that way yeah. kind of thing. I think they did describe that. Yeah. And just the appreciation of that. It's just like scale literally fell off his eyes. Right. It was covered by fear. Covered by fear. And there was a trigger a moment where the scale, maybe maybe love made that happen. The scale fall, fall, fell out of his eyes mm-hmm. and he was just... He was just filled with love and appreciation for what he had. Mm -hmm. And able to then embrace, ultimately, his age. Yeah. So that's one example of Mm -hmm. the fear versus love in this book. Um, Another example is Marsha, who is Michael's sister. Marsha, she didn't have the best relationship with the men in her life. Um, Although she loved her her brother, Michael, Mm -hmm. she didn't approve of the treatment of his treatment of women. Yeah. She saw how he was with women. Her other brother, Simon, killed her mom. He has mental illness. Yes, and then her dad. Her dad ran away early. Yes, yes. So that's abandonment. So she didn't have men in her life that she could really trust. Mm -hmm. Although she might have looked up to Michael, but the trust wasn't there. So she feared men, and, and therefore she didn't have good relationships. In fact, she probably avoided relationships yeah. with men. And that kind of drove her to be focused and she ended up going to medical school. So there's that fear versus love. But towards the end of the book, or she eventually forgave her brother, Simon, yeah. who killed who killed her mom. I think in that forgiveness and in that journey, yeah. she was able to fall in love with a man and ended up getting married. Yeah. Yeah. So when she was able to let go mm-hmm. of the baggage and, you know, what was causing the fear, the fear itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. She was able to let go and just live her 
life. Live her life. Got closer to Michael. Like yeah. They built a stronger relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. They were able to communicate better. Michael, I think Michael was more forthcoming with her about yes. what he was doing. Yeah. So um, that's an example. And then the last one is with Michael. And Michael, so, oh my God. Very yeah. complex guy. You kind of pity him sometimes, but you kind of like, Michael, you're being Mike. quite you know, juvenile at this point. Yeah. And you pity him again. Yeah. Embrace him. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So his father abandoned him early. His mother, his real mother passed away or ran away also. Yeah. Yeah. She she ran away. She She left the dad and then the dad left later. Right. Right. And then it was just him and Miss Lorez and Marcia. Yeah. So Miss Lorez was, yes, the stepmom. So she raised um, all three of them. And I believe Marsha was her, that's Marsha's real mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Simon and Michael are, are full brothers. Mm-hmm. And then Marsha is their half-sister, sorry. Half-sister. Yeah. So Michael dealt with a lot of fear from the abandonment of his parents, mm-hmm. right? And also was taught throughout his life to kind of hate him, hate who he was. Yeah, that. It, it's not not hate, not but hate. not taught in that sense. But being a black person around that era, you had the Brixton riots, you had the Rodney King era, where black men were not safe on the streets and were brutalized in that sense. You had the Brixton riots, where again there was, and then it's also coming from the backdrop of maybe two generations earlier. You mm. had the West Indian migration, where even if people immigrated to England, they were still treated as second-class citizens. So it's, it's the pileup of events. So you get Michael, who, again, doesn't have good role models with his mm-hmm. father, you know, living in a council estate, so the people around are not good influence. So obviously you have, you're filled with a lot of self-hate, mm-hmm. and that's translated to... To that, f- that fear and then his relationships as mm-hmm. well and it's so interesting in the book because you watched him date white women and again it's and I, I used to think oh he's reaching it's that rich thing that we feel like you know he's trying to reach for the best but he ex- but there was a time was narrated in the book that he feels a sense of power for him to date this kind of women and then reject them and not build a relationship with them almost like He's blaming white people and he's trying at the same time he's trying to punish them mm-hmm. in his own by his own power. Mm-hmm. They, they even in the book it mentions that when he was in grade school, mm-hmm. um, there was a white girl who got him in trouble. Mm. Uh, he didn't he didn't necessarily do anything, but he got in trouble because the white girl said that he did something. Yeah, and then the stereotypes about black children in in schools as well as and then um you know the teacher picking on him when he didn't necessarily do anything mm-hmm. wrong so mm-hmm. all that built up like yeah. sets a backdrop to yeah his relationships and the way he dealt with life and then that skill falling off his eyes mm-hmm. after on. he left the prison and started um, a journey of self-discovery and then through that he was able to find love mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. So that, um, I think that prison, that time in prison for him 
allowed him to self-reflect that self-reflect, isolation yeah i often feel like people when they're in isolation they're able to evolve mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. that's what he did and at, at one point he he came out of prison um started on the right path and then finally at one point looked in the mirror and said and looked at himself and actually saw himself yeah and i think at that point is when that fear went away and he was able to love so mm-hmm. when he he and then he did find his love you know pretty soon after who ended up being ngazi and also ended up loving himself himself first yeah yeah was just happy to learn about his history his um heritage and things like that and i was just more of a content person wasn't out chasing things or material things was just learned to be self-content mm-hmm. so yeah that's my fear versus love theme that i really enjoyed to I guess dissect <laughs> and then you know the the story like the one we read last week home going again it's that generation passing down to generation and then last week we talked about how things like phobias and just fear of certain things or fascination with like certain elements like water or fire you don't understand why you're having dreams or why you have certain reactions to these things but it's passed down Mm -hmm. and you were explaining to me earlier that you kind of see that in this book as well in terms of um, wisdom and love Mm -hmm. and prayers that Mm -hmm. were passed down from you mentioned miss lorez yes miss lorez she she always had words of wisdom from Michael. They also described that she did not like Michael hanging out with this one guy whose name yes. is Devin, right? And Devin ended up being the one getting him in big trouble and yes, ended up yeah. getting him in jail, even though Devin passed away. But mm-hmm. their dealings ended mm-hmm. up getting Michael in jail. So her words of wisdom, her advice, that's all inheritance. And as I was reading this book, I thought, you know, people people look at others and see inheritance as, oh, that person got inheritance money or Mm -hmm. this house or they're so lucky but equally words of wisdom the way you were raised the the great things instilled in you to become Mm -hmm. a good person even though you might not have physical things that might get you there but when you have this type of upbringing and just love like thinking you know he didn't he wasn't with his miss lores for a while but he was they, they described moments in the book, him and Marcia, where they were just enveloped by her words mm-hmm. and her love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just being in that nostalgia of how she loved them, how she, what she would have done in certain situations, what she wouldn't have done. And they really just lived by that. And again, it's that inheritance thing. That's all they had, really. That's all they had. But that's all, that's what got them to where they are now. Exactly. The book, yeah. Yeah, so what are the things you like about like reading Book of Echoes? What really resonated with you? Or what's the one thing or two things that you liked about the book or what what the author did with the book? Um, I like how I like how the author talked about Michael's story, then talked about Ngozi and went back and forth. I actually like that because it gave us a break from one so we can go to the other, you know. Yeah, but at definitely. the same time you know that they are connected somehow. Yeah. So I like that about the book. I also like, even though Ngozi's experience with men was horrible, (laughs) I liked how the author took us to how she became, how she was able to accept the men, I guess, that came into her life and did the things that they did to her, even though it was negative. But that 
it didn't define her. I like that it was just a stepping stone. Yes. She just said, oh, yeah, that happened. Okay, cool. Yeah. She didn't give up. She didn't give up. Mm -hmm. And I think she knew, she knew where it was coming from, those mm. decisions. Uh, but I think part of it was also low self-esteem. It's almost like she thought she deserved, you know, all her life she was told she wasn't going to marry. So she was happy with the little attention she got. Not happy, but Con almost uh, okay with it. Mm -hmm. Okay with mediocre relationships. I think she was dating that Sunday guy. Mm -hmm. And then that guy in the end as well. Um, Mr. Ben in the middle. Mm -hmm. Even when she was um, sexually molested by her by her master, obviously it was a horrible experience because he that was her first time, but she kind of almost quickly just accepted her fate, especially when she had that dis discussion with her mom. Yeah. Just like, yeah, this, I'm kind of for this life. So I think that was part of the, not nonchalance, but the kind of, it's, it's not a big thing. Like it's meant to happen. I'm an osu. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is really sad. Yeah, but again, we're happy she found love. This is what I'm she telling did. you about the love story. Yeah. From going, you were like, oh, this is what would have happened to Marjorie <laughs> and Marcos. But yeah. Um, she ended up with a great man. Yeah, a great guy. Yeah. Um, a Michael of then, not a Michael of before. Yeah, the reformed Michael. The reformed Michael. <laughs> but um, so people do change. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And they can change drastically. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, so what I liked about the book was, again, as I said, I really thought, oh, wow, 20 years. Wow, this book must be super, super, super. But what the 20 years did was that it really developed. Like, the characters grew on you. I was halfway through the book and I was sleeping, thinking about Michael and Ngozi and what was next for them and worried things will happen. That's what it did for you because they were so develop right from the beginning you just fell in love with them and then the good thing about the book is that it took you through like certain time periods so mm -hmm. from obviously there was a little talk about slave trade and how um the the passage and what happened then but right down to um you had the the west indies my immigration in the 50s in the 40s and 50s after the second world war and the lives and how like the Brixton community was kind of formed from that right up to the Brixton riots. Then um then the structural adjustment programs in Nigeria. Yeah. Um that was my first time hearing about the structural adjustment programs. I had to look that up and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One day I sat and read about it and I was just sad and just it just took away something from me, just me being basically more jaded about foreign aid and foreign help and just frustrated as well. Like African leaders just we can't get our stuff together. Like Is it no that they can't get it together or they they know what they're doing because they're profiting? So do do they go into leadership knowing that they're gonna help the people? I don't think so. Yeah, it's crazy because I worked a lot with a lot of like politicians working in the bank and it was just more like, yeah, 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 Mara, give me loan. Yeah, just give me loan. I want to like build my house or pay back, yeah. pay back from what I lost campaigning. Mm -hmm. 
It's just like, yeah, it's just more like, yeah, someone else's problem, not my problem. Yeah, I don't think they go, I don't think those politicians go into it. So why thinking, are we blaming other people that come and help us? Why are we blaming them? It's not, it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not them. It's our own politicians. That's, that's, that's the, I think that's the frustrating thing as well. Like, but I'm a very, lib, I'm a liberalist and I feel like with time things have gotten better and they will get better. Kind of thing. Mm, <laughs> she's literally shaking her head. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm pessimistic with that because although I didn't grow up in Nigeria, right? But let's see. The first time I've been, I went to Nigeria. I was two years old. I don't really remember the events mm-hmm. from that. The second time I was ten, so I remember how it was and mm-hmm. that corruption and um, things that were going on then. Mm-hmm. Then I years, you know, every other every couple of years I would go back and nothing has changed. And I I'm in my thirties now. That's twenty nothing years. Nothing has changed. I went back for Christmas. Nothing new. Nothing has changed. Nothing it's has worse. changed. Yeah. For but, me to be telling you is worse. So I think it's mainly covered. Why you don't see the the this the the depth of the situation is just it's covered by a lot of like um superficial mm-hmm. um amenities we enjoy a lot of influence from the west social media and just that kind of superficial lifestyle but mm-hmm. deep down we're now the poverty capital of the world mm-hmm. and just many other things that have happened ensas now in the 21st century you send your armies to shoot down innocent protesters who just want a chance not to be killed mercilessly on the streets you know, and you try to cover up, but you can't even cover and you cover can't even it up. Cover it up <laughs> properly, like that's how. Yeah, my my dear, it's it's worse. Like yeah. in the middle of COVID, a whole government tells its people to go and queue up in horrible conditions to get social security number. Mm-hmm. In the middle of COVID, mm-hmm. so that's why I'm pessimistic. I, I don't think things have changed. I don't know. I think I can sleep well in the night knowing that there's some kind of hope. There has to be. The fact me and you have this podcast means that, and hopefully people are listening to it, mm-hmm. means that <laughs> people are open to change or the, our mindset is beginning to, we're not only thinking these things, but we're trying to do something about yeah, it. Yeah. So dislikes, there was nothing to dislike about the book. The <laughs> only thing that we thought was really peculiar was the use of all um come and buy something or i'm getting a house or and it was just i think as the book progressed it was it just got worse got worse (laughs) (laughs) because this isn't guzzy saying it and you can understand her saying it when she's you know coming out of the village yeah coming into city life maybe um advancing more socially but she still continues to say it even when she gets to silicon valley yeah she's still saying it She's um, she's acquired a lot too at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. so you, we we are dramatic um, as Nigerians in the way we talk. We are <laughs> dramatic, and we just figured maybe that's what the author was trying to prove, mm-hmm. and just the fact that she was very much a Niger a village girl like at heart, and just yeah, always longing to return home, and so that never left her, and yeah. I think the boldness of it, like, because she would change her accent by that point, right, and try and fit in. But she didn't have to. But she didn't have to. So that's the beauty of it, yeah. actually. 
So I guess I kind of see where the author was going with that. Yeah. But it was very much exaggerated to how the average Nigerian talks. I think because we know how the average Nigerian talks, yeah. so it might yeah. aggravate us, but... I can see why it was overemphasized. Oh, I don't know, though. Like, if you ask, like, an Uibu person, maybe they'll say, ah, she wasn't exaggerating. That's how you people talk. <laughs> so, who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, another thing I didn't agree with, like, I understand the the spirit connection in a way that she was trying to trace her descendants and stuff. But I feel the book would have been still up to the same standard without the spirit narrating the book like if it was just narrated in the in the third person or yes n- normally in the third person just a normal novel without all spirit connotations and kind of passing down history and people looking for their descendants i won't say unnecessary but i'm just saying yeah i didn't yeah. see the strong points what I, do you think? I actually liked it because okay regularly books you know they're going to narrate in the third person they do that but this book is different in that you have the spirit kind of narrating in the third person so it it gives that it gives that kind of um overarching feel like you are you're over these characters looking watching their lives Mm -hmm. versus versus you being with them if that makes sense you're overarching looking down on their on on them and you see you can see Michael here in Brixton. You can see Ngazi here. You have yeah. a bird's eye view of them. Bird's eye, I think that's the, Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess. And I guess it makes it nice to know there's some kind of... They they were connected in that way. But again, you could have done it with the third person. But I don't the, know, it's, maybe it's just a different style. Yeah, it's a different writing. style of writing. Yeah. Yeah, but as I said, it was an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Um I, <laughs> I when I first purchased it, I was like, "This is long. This is a long book." But by the end, I really didn't want it to finish. Yeah. So it all came together. The most interesting part of the book for me was the discussion that Michael and Ngozi had towards the end, and it was about being what it is like being African American and being African, and it kind of broke the ice in a way um for them and once they got past that conversation they could see from each other's point of view where the other person was coming from Mm -hmm. and it's an interesting discussion i've had with my my um, african-american friend ages ago as well and as soon as i listened to her point of view i totally understood and i hope me being with her for that certain period of time she also understood the african perspective as well but it's that sort of scenario where okay in a different scenario i came to do a two-week course in in um, brown university and it's crazy there were there were so many africans people from nigeria and we were doing basically black history and talking about the african-american history and redlining zones and things like that and the africans kept shouting at this point that but you people have electricity you people have water you people have benefits you people they give you free houses and that's the view i had before i spoke to this my other african-american friend so when i came to the course i was already irritated that 
it's funny how we still have this view, but they were like, in Africa, we're suffering. Come back to Africa now. If you don't like um, mm-hmm. America, stop complaining. Come back to Africa. And it's that mindset the average African has, like, can't you be grateful? See, we are suffering here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the African-American is like, our descend, our ancestors went through a lot and we are still trying to unpack everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not been easy in terms of that, like, mental struggle and just accept the fact that part of your history is going to be missing. But what do you think about um, our own ancestors in Africa who have gone through what they've went through? So, funny enough, when this Black Lives Matter movement happened, obviously all your all the Oibo people around you, when I say Oibo people, we're referring to other people that are non-Black or non-Nigerian, but... <laughs> They are looking at you and be like, oh, so what do you think? What do you do? How is it be- How is it being black? I was trying to explain to them that I'm African. I come from Nigeria. I don't know the struggle of, say, a George Floyd. So, obviously, I resonate with being black and, um, you know, the, the kind of subtle uh, microaggressions that comes with that. But I don't really i can't really relate to their struggle the way they can because i'm nigerian we don't struggle because of the color of our skin Mm -hmm. last last tribe or ethnic differences Mm -hmm. but you know i can trace my ancestors because i know where they i know where my village is i know where my countryside is i know where they all came from Mm -hmm. as jay-z said um (laughs) As Jay-Z said, field, field nigger or house nigger, yeah. we are still all black and we are still experiencing this. that, um, you know, the, again, the microaggression mm-hmm. kind of thing I'm talking about. After all, if I go out to the street, nobody will say, okay, you're African or you're black. Or Af- you're black. Or, or yeah. you're black British. Or you're, it's still the same struggles we do experience. That's... You go to a hair salon and you have to go to certain areas of town to find a good hair salon that mm-hmm. is, is strong enough to do your hair. And there's just two certain things. You can't find the right pair of jeans or something yeah. because it wasn't made for the black body. Yeah, yeah. We still face all that, yeah. you know, um, together. And then it's just realizing, yeah. I remember one time because I, <laughs> I remember one time I was, I came across this professor, she's, she's Jamaican, and she started talking to me about being black. And she said, are you, are you not aware or are you scared, mm-hmm. you know, about how these people see you? And I said, no. Really? <laughs> yeah, because to, to be honest, for me, maybe because I was raised in a Nigerian household, but I'm still black in America, exactly. you know. Exactly. I think that's one thing you need to we need to realize. Yeah. We're still black. So that's what she was trying to get me to see that you're still mm-hmm. black in America. But at the same time, like, why did she have to? I don't. I didn't care. I'm black in America. In America, yes, I have been discriminated upon. Um, I see it. I get it. But at the same time, I think my sense of pride kind of 
overshadows it overshadows it all. Like keep, if keep keep moving, I know, keep moving. What's yeah, next because the hate that you have for me and my skin color has more to do with you than than exactly. it does me. Just plain fat ignorance. Yeah, and I'm just going to avoid you and move with progressive people because there are progressive, mm-hmm. you know, people that think differently. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, but it's just. I don't want to be insensitive though too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the yeah. black struggle. No, no, um, no, 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 and that's that's the that's why this icebreaker of Michael and Ngozi was very key, and yeah. it's just reaching out both sides and understanding. After all, African Americans, they insult Africans a lot because they don't know a lot about Africans, and all they see in the news is corruption, yeah. flies in children's eyes. And I got made fun of too. I spoke exactly. for that because I knew I was African. African booty scratcher. Yeah, I heard I had my cousins t- tell me that they were called that a lot. So. Yeah, I think that's why I don't. I mean. I understand the black experience, but I I do also know in my experience I was made fun of by black people exactly more I was than made fun of an more than you know, an, mm-hmm. as well very subtly but because again that pride and just yeah I'm here to read my book so that's cool mm-hmm. so no one is innocent the no. point is that the, the point is reaching across mm-hmm. you know and just realizing together we can actually you know, be stronger and demand together that definitely skin color or your heritage doesn't define you. It's mm-hmm. what you put on the table, mm-hmm. your merits, your strengths, and then giving us the equal opportunity, This, you know, to be able to achieve that. Because, yeah, as a black person, face it or not, um, this George Floyd era, we're in the period of Black History Month, we are not put at the same starting line in life. No. We are not in any way, shape or form. So it's realizing that that we are all still the same and then coming together to be stronger, to have a stronger voice about that. I don't know how that's going to happen, but it's one of those... Michael and Gazi did it. (laughs) That's why I love it. That's why I love their story because they were able to hear each other and realize that with each other, right? Yes. And come together, so... So, yes, we've come to the end of another episode of Afro Reads podcast. Thank you for joining us. For our next episode, we are going to read Dust, going all the way to Kenya, written by Yvonne Owar. So please um, read it and join us on the next episode, episode five, to discuss it. Thanks for listening. Please get in touch with us on our social media handles. Uh, We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, You can reach out to us there. We look forward to your comments, questions, and conversing with you. Um, Thanks for listening. And be sure to like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And we will see you on the next episode. So take care, guys. Have a blessed week. Bye.